This morning, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. This morning, I want to talk to you about a lunatic loved by the Lord. Luke, chapter 8, we'll begin at verse 26. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence, the public reading of God's holy word. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across from the lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from that town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God, you may be seated. The man in our story is a terrible sight to behold. His long, black, wiry hair was greasy and matted with a mixture of blood, sweat, and dirt. His dim, dark eyes darted back and forth in crazed frenzy. His demeanor was paranoid. His movements were abrupt and awkward. His unkept beard was tangled and twisted halfway down his chest. His skin was weathered under the heat of the Israeli sun. He had sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. His arms and legs were notched with bruises, looking as if he had tattooed himself with ink spots, all because of self mutilation. This man had been chained hand and foot, yet he was stronger than any mortal man. He was able to break the chains 
Nobody in that village knew what to do with him. They kicked him out of his house, evicted him from the village, quarantined him to the cemetery. This man is a terrible sight to behold. I wonder how long he's been this way. Luke just says it's been a long time. I don't know how long a long time is. I just know it's a long time. But I wonder how long has this man been like this? Most of us want to assume that he has been a loon all of his life. We want to think to ourselves that he's been a freak show ever since infancy. When we think like that, it somehow makes us feel somewhat better because we read this story and we conjure in our minds that this man has nothing to do with us and we have nothing to do with this man. This man doesn't look like us. We don't look like him. He is a crazed psycho. We think to ourselves, well, we may have some problems, but this guy has some big problems. This is what drives us to watch reality television. I mean, have you noticed what is called normal today? Have you seen reality television? Have you seen the people and the words they speak and the actions that they do and the morality that they have? Have you seen what's normal today? I think this is what drives us to watch reality television. We get done and we think to ourselves, boy, I may not have it all together, but at least I'm better than that. And I think that when we come to this story, we have that same mentality. I mean, we, 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 we may not be perfect, but we're far better than this guy. I mean, he's crazy. He lives well beyond the line of sanity. He lives in a tomb. He lives in a cemetery. He's half clothed, if clothed at all. And he howls at the moon. He is a menace to society. This guy is weird. But I wonder if he was always that way. I wonder if he used to be a lovable child. I wonder if he was at one time a popular teenager. I wonder if there was a time in his life when he was a successful businessman. I wonder if this man um, was ever married. I wonder if he ever had any children. I wonder how long he's, he's been like this. I wonder if there was ever a time when he went to church. Now, I'm not saying that he was somehow a believer. I'm not saying that somehow uh, he was a follower of the Lord because you know as well as I do that there's no way that a Christian can be possessed by the devil. Because when you are a believer in Christ, that salvation is sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is no way that the devil can dominate you. There is no way that the devil can possess you. So I'm not saying that he's a believer, but I wonder if he was a church attender. I wonder if, if he came and just kind of heard the word and allowed it to go in one ear and out the other. I wonder if there was a time when maybe he came once a month. You know, these days, that'd be called a committed church member, right? I mean, I wonder if he showed up maybe once every four weeks. I wonder if he justified his disobedience. I wonder if he thought to himself, it's not that big of a deal. I wonder if he evaluated his secret sin and thought to himself, I've got power over that. I can stop anytime I want to. 
I wonder if his lack of love for the Lord was a workshop for the devil. I, I wonder if his unrepentant heart left his life wide open for the adversary. While it's true that a believer cannot be possessed by the devil, a non-believer sure can. Someone who is outside of Christ sure can. In fact, they, they, they lay themselves wide open for the adversary to come and wreak havoc in their life and in their mind. I wonder how long this man had been that way. Luke just lets us in on a little secret. He just says it's been a long time. I bet this man was on the prayer list at the local church. I bet they prayed for this man. They may have even had some religious rituals trying to exercise the demons. But to no avail. It didn't work. This man was in solitary. He was quarantined to the cemetery. You know, that's the mode of operation for the devil. The devil wants to get people isolated. Not living in community, but living in isolation. God wants us to live in community one with the other. In fact, when he created Adam, he said it's not good for him to be alone. So God has created us to live in community, in the sweet community similar to that of God, who has always been Father, Son, and Spirit, living in sweet community one with the other. But this man was isolated. This man was there living in the graveyard. And Jesus and the disciples get into the boat. They cross the Sea of Galilee. They land in his town. It's called the region of the Gerasenes. There's some debate as to the actual identity of this town, but you and I need to know that regardless of its location, this much is true. It is a predominantly Gentile area. Jesus and the disciples are now the minority. They are stepping outside of Jewish Israel. They are stepping into an area that is predominantly Gentile. They are in the minority. There's very few people looking like them, acting like them, talking like them around them. And Jesus lands and makes a straight line for the cemetery. He goes to the graveyard. And this man makes a beeline for Jesus. I can well imagine that this man rushes Jesus as if he's going to bull rush the Savior. And those disciples who just got out of the boat, their eyes are wide open. They're thinking to themselves, oh my, where have we landed and who is that freak? What is he about to do? But Jesus stands tall. Jesus does not budge. Jesus is not intimidated. Jesus is never intimidated. And Jesus says to the demon, come out of this man. And with a shriek, the demon begins to speak. The man is thrown at the feet of Jesus and in a loud voice, the, the demon cries out and says, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God, please do not torture us. They know who they just met. They, they recognize Jesus. The demons understand, and they identify him accurately. They know they can't do anything without Jesus first giving them permission to do it. They identify him by the accurate name, Jesus, and by the accurate title, Son of the Most High God. 
I find that very intriguing because up until now, most people in the Gospel of Luke don't know the identity of Jesus. In fact, they're asking the question, who is this? In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stands up to preach at his hometown of Nazareth, he preaches the first sermon that puts his name on the map. And when he gets done, some of the elders of the synagogue look at each other and say, who is this? Isn't that Joseph's boy? Isn't he the son of a carpenter? What's he doing preaching? And what's he doing saying that? In Luke chapter 5, it's the Pharisees who are there at the home of the uh, paralytic. And, and when the paralyzed man gets there and he's healed, the Pharisees look at each other and ask the question, who is this who can heal the paralytic and have the audacity to say your sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. Who is this? In Luke chapter 7, it's John the Baptist, that super saint who sends the question while he's still incarcerated and asks of Jesus, are you the one or should we expect someone else? In our chapter of Luke chapter 8, in the preceding passage, the disciples are there in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. A severe storm comes up. It's a tornado, hurricane-type storm. And Jesus, who is asleep in the back of the boat, is woken up frantically by his disciples. He goes to the front of the boat, offers two words, silent, still, and everything becomes calm. And they ask each other the question, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Isn't this the son of the carpenter? Are you the one or should we expect someone else? All the while, Luke is weaving together this beautiful tapestry to give us the identity of Jesus. And lo and behold, he goes to the region of the Gerasenes, a Gentile uh, populated area, and it's a demon-possessed man who identifies Jesus accurately as the son of the Most High God. This is amazing. That it's the demonic who understands the identity of Jesus. And they've got a sneaking suspicion because they know that both hell and hallelujah cannot occupy the same space. They know they're in the presence of holiness. They know that they're in a hallelujah house. They know they're in a spot where Jesus has just showed up and hell and hallelujah cannot occupy the same space. They've got a sneaking suspicion that one of them's gonna be evicted and they think they have a hunch it's gonna be them. Because they know they can't tell Jesus where to go, but they also know Jesus can always tell them where to go. Jesus asked the question, what is your name? He says, um, my name is Legion. The reason Jesus asked his name is not just to be polite. Hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? The reason Jesus asked him his name is to show once again that he has ultimate power and authority over the demonic. Because to know a name, to say a name, to give a name, to lord over a name is to show that you have dominion. Don't you remember that when Adam was created, the Lord God said, I want you to name all the animals. And by the process of naming them, you're showing dominion over them. And parents, you're the ones who get to name your children. It's not the job of a doctor. It's not the job of the nurse. It's not a job of 
a stranger walking up and down the hallway. As a parent, you get to name your child. Why? Because at the very outset, you show that you have dominion over that precious gift from God. God has entrusted that into your care. And so you as the parent, you get to name Junior and Sally. So when Jesus says, what is your name? He's once again hinting at the fact that he has all authority even over this man. What is your name? My name is Legion. The word legion is a military term. It literally means 6,000. I don't know if this man was possessed by 6,000 demons, but I can tell you he's possessed by many demons. Can you imagine the voices in his head? He is so confused. He doesn't know which way to go. He's getting instructions every place he turns. All the demons are telling him different things to do. He doesn't know who to follow or what to do. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his own identity. And he is just obsessed and possessed uh, by all these demons. How confusing and convoluted this man must be. And you know that the purpose of all demons is to destroy. I mean... Jesus said it well, that the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to give you life more abundant and free. What is your name? My name is Legion. Because we are many. Jesus knows that he is outnumbered. But he's never outmatched. I mean, you know the odds of 6,000 to 1? That's not very good. Especially if you're the one. If you got 6,000 coming against you, that's not, a, that's not very good odds, unless you're Jesus. Jesus just might be outnumbered, but he's never outmatched. Jesus and the devil are not equals. They're not even on the same playing field. You need to know this. You need to be reminded of this. The devil has some power, but Jesus has all power. The devil knows some things, but Jesus knows everything. The devil has some authority, but Jesus has all authority. The devil can be here or there, but Jesus is everywhere. The devil just might win a battle, but Jesus has won the war. The devil might be a thief that comes in the night, but Jesus is the righteous redeemer who makes all things right. The devil may look to see who he can devour, but Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords even in this very hour. I came to tell you this morning that the devil has some power, but Jesus has all power. Jesus might just be outnumbered, but he's never outmatched. Your problems might outnumber him. Your prognosis might outnumber him. Your difficulties might outnumber him, but Jesus is never outmatched. Jesus is the King of all kings kings he is lord of all lords and he has the power and the ability to break every chain so jesus and these demons understand that they both cannot occupy the same space that's why james the brother of our lord says submit yourself to god resist the devil and he will flee from you the devil cannot occupy 
the same space where there's hallelujah going on. So you know that when we come in here to worship and when we lift up holy hands of praise, when we shout hallelujah, there's no way that the devil can be in our midst. There's no way he can be here. He is evicted by the power of Christ. Why? Because hell and hallelujah cannot occupy the same space. So the devil pleads with Christ. I can't go anywhere without you giving me permission to go. Here over here is a herd of swine. Can we go into there? Jesus gives him permission. Some have said the reason Jesus gave permission was because uh, pigs are regarded as unclean animals according to the Mosaic law. An animal in order to be clean had to have a split hoof and chew its own cud, and a pig doesn't do that. Therefore, a pig is unclean. So when Jesus says, sure, go on in there, it's because he doesn't care about the pigs. Well, I want to tell you that Jesus cares about the little piggies. He does. Because he's the creator of all things. And so all you animal lovers, I want you to know Jesus cares about the pigs. He really, really does. Because in the creation, it's Jesus who is the divine creating agent. And Jesus makes all things and all things are declared good. In fact, when he makes humanity, he says it's very good. So God loves the pigs. But I also want you to know that, that Jesus has a divine economy. And if the cost of one man's salvation is 2,000 pigs, so be it. I don't know how you put a price tag on somebody's divine sanity. I don't know how you put a price tag on being at peace with God. I don't know how you put a price tag upon one person's salvation. But at least in this story, Jesus says, if it costs 2,000 pigs, so be it. That's a bargain. And so he gives permission. Those 6,000 demons go in 2,000 pigs. And what do you think happens? Can you imagine the squeals, the sights, the sound of all them little piggies running over into the edge? Now, you have a 21st century mindset just like me. I'm thinking to myself, there goes some bacon, there goes some sausage, there goes some country ham, there goes some ribs, there goes some barbecue. I'm going to full moon for lunch. Right? You think, wow, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of meat going into the Sea of Galilee. But once again, if the price of one man's salvation is 2,000 pigs, so be it. Now, to say that Pigs don't matter to Jewish people doesn't mean that pigs don't matter to Gentile pig farmers. Those people, those hired hands that were watching the herd, they ran back into town. They went to the big head honcho. They, they went to the owner. They, they went to the head farmer. And they said, you won't believe what happened. This miracle worker from the other side of the Sea of Galilee showed up, went to the tombs where we were uh, nearby grazing your pigs. And you know that freaky, weird guy? Yeah, everybody knows. Well, you won't believe what happened next. Jesus spoke to him, and he said his name was Legion, a lot of demons. The demons asked if they could come out and go into your pigs, and the miracle worker let it happen. And voila, they went into those 2,000 pigs, and well, you don't have 2,000 pigs anymore because now they're at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Pigs don't float. And the farmer was irate. He got all of his buddies, all the people in the town, 
all the lynchmen, all the big guys. He said, let's go out there and let's teach that miracle worker a thing or two. When they get out there, Luke says that the man who, who was demon-possessed, he's now dressed. He's in his right mind. You can see a sparkle in his eyes again. A smile comes across his face. He is seated at the feet of Jesus. He's in that position and posture of worship and learning. He's at the feet of Jesus. That's where you worship Christ. He's at the feet of Jesus. That's where you learn eternal truth. He's there at the feet of Christ. He's in his right mind. A smile on his face. A sparkle in his eyes. His life has been transformed from the inside out. Now you would expect the village people of this garrison area to erupt in applause because after all, one of their own had been transformed. But they're more afraid of his transformation than when he was demon-possessed. They don't know what to do with him now. He's changed. He's different. They don't know what to do with him. They're more afraid of the transforming power of Jesus working in this man's life than when this man was possessed by 6,000 demons. And they say to Jesus, get out of here. And Jesus leaves. He gets back into the boat, sets sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He came all that way for one person. We're not talking about somebody who's powerful, prestigious, or popular. We're talking about somebody who's pitiful. We're talking about a demon-possessed man. We're talking about the scum of society. We're talking about the underbelly of the culture. We're talking about a demoniac dude. We're talking about a loony lunatic. We're talking about the man named Legion. Jesus came across the Sea of Galilee for one person. And when the crowd is there, which as a preacher, I would think, hey, here's a good time for a revival. They say, get out. And Jesus says, okay, I didn't come for you anyway. And he gets back into his boat and sets sail. Because he came for one person. Mission accomplished, Jesus says. That man who used to be demon-possessed, he comes up to Jesus. And he says, please, sir, let me go with you. Now, once again, if I'm Jesus, I've got a soft spot. I say, hey, there's room in my boat, right? Come on in, buddy. You come on in. Uh, we can have a 13th disciple. That's okay, right? I mean, if that were you, if that were me, we'd say, yeah, we want to go in the boat of Jesus, and we would hope that Jesus would let us go. But this man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. And Jesus sends him to the toughest turf on the planet. He sends him to the toughest mission field. Go home. Go home. Go home and tell your family and friends what Christ has done for you. And the man's obedient. He goes back home. He goes back home. He tells everybody in the streets what Jesus has done for him. Jesus sent him to the toughest mission field. Some of you know how tough it is to talk to family and friends about Christ, don't you? You know how tough it is to talk to your spouse about Jesus? You know how tough it is to talk to your parents about Jesus? You know how tough it is to talk to your aunt, your uncle, your cousin about Jesus? You know how, how, how uh, difficult it is to talk to your neighbor and coworker about Jesus? 
Yet Jesus sends him to the toughest mission field. Have you discovered that sometimes it's easier to go halfway around the world and tell somebody about Jesus than go back home and tell somebody about Christ? Because the person back home knows you. Knows your warts and all. Knows your good parts and your not so good parts. Knows your highs and your lows. Your good days and your bad days. And it's tough sometimes to go home and tell someone about Jesus. Now please, uh, don't misunderstand me. If God calls you to go halfway around the world, you need to go halfway around the world and tell somebody about Jesus. But he just might call you, call me, call all of us to go home. To go home and tell what Jesus has done for you. And this man goes in obedience. I find that interesting. He doesn't have to take a six-week course in evangelism. He doesn't have to listen to a sermon that stirs him up to do evangelism in order to go out and do it. He just hears the word of Jesus saying, go and tell. And he says, okay. And he goes and he tells. What a novel idea. So the last picture we have is this man walking over the horizon. And Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. They push off. I don't know, maybe Jesus turns back to the mob and says, see ya. And he goes back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. I do wonder, why did Luke include this story in his gospel? What's the point? What's the takeaway? What's the big idea of Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39? Well, some have said the main point of this story is to encourage us to be eager in evangelism for if Jesus has transformed us, we must go and tell. After all, that's the last punchline of the story. This man goes all over town telling everyone what Jesus had done for him. And my friend, if this story, if it prompts you to be eager in evangelism, wonderful. If it causes you to leave this place and go home and tell somebody about Jesus, awesome. But I don't know if that's the main point of the story. Others have said, well, the main point of the story is to show that Jesus has power over the demons. Because in the previous story, he has the power over the created order, before a storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, he says, quiet, be still, everything immediately becomes calm. Jesus has authority over all of creation. Jesus has authority in this story, even over the demonic. And so Jesus has all power. Now, if you walk out of here, and somehow you love the Lord more, because you realize that Jesus has all power over not only creation, but also the demons, that's a good lesson. And if it causes you to love Christ more, wonderful, great. But I'm not sure if that's the main point of the story. You say, okay, preacher, what do you think is the main point of the story? I'm glad you asked. I think that in this section of Luke's gospel, Luke is answering that question, who is this? It's found on the lips of his disciples. Luke writes the gospel. 
so that you can have blessed assurance as to the identity of Jesus. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is. And from this story, I think this is what Luke is telling us regarding the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior who makes special trips to break sin's bondage one person at a time. I think that's the point of the story. I think he's identifying Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the Savior who makes special trips to break sin's bondage one person at a time. Jesus made a trip across the Sea of Galilee for one person. And he came to break that one person's bondage to sin. Did you know that Jesus is here today? I don't know if you can see him. I don't know if you can sense him. I don't know if you can hear him. But I want to tell you that he's, he's here today. And he made a special trip to Pelham, right here. Maybe just for you. To break sin's bondage in your life. Not just to break the power of sin, but to break the presence of sin in your life. Are, are you bound by alcohol? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by nicotine? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by drugs? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by pornography? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by lust? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by unbiblical sexuality? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by gossip? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by gambling? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by a poor self-esteem? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by the spirit of negativity? Jesus can break it. Are you bound by pride? Jesus can break it. I'm about to get Holy Ghost happy in the Hallelujah house. Are you bound by anything in this culture? Jesus can break it. Jesus came today to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. That's not just a song, that's reality for the life of the believer. Jesus came in this spot just for you to break every chain of addiction in your life. I came to tell you about a lunatic loved by the Lord. Of course, you think I'm talking about Legion, and I am. But I'm also talking about the man who stares at me every morning in the mirror. I'm a lunatic loved by the Lord. Don't be offended at this, but I look out in the crowd, and I see a bunch of lunatics. Y'all are crazy. Y'all some crazy people. But you're loved by the Lord. And Jesus made a special trip today to break sin's bondage in your life, one person at a time. So, Lord Jesus, come break every chain.
Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. We give you this altar, this place where chains fall. Lord, there may be somebody here this morning who just needs to come and fall on their face before you here at the altar and give you all of their sin, all of their skeleton, all of their struggles and allow you to come and break every chain off of their spirit. Father, there may be somebody here and this just might be the first time they've ever heard the gospel of how you can come and transform their life. And today they need to come forward, take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want this Jesus in my life. I want to get into his boat. Father, if, if that person's here, please have them come. Maybe there's somebody here who needs to just come and pray. Maybe there's somebody here that's being drawn here to be part of this faith family. As you lead us, help us to follow you. Help us to do what you tell us to do, whether it's go halfway around the world, whether it's to go home, whether it's to just sit and stay just for a moment. Whatever it is, Lord Jesus, help us to be obedient unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.